Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, unions and progressives outspend conservatives in a Wisconsin court election only to choke it away. One swampland operative has two advocacy groups with differing views on a major managed trade package. And we look at some of the more amusing and more controversial uses that unions found for their members' dues money in 2018. Progressives had hoped to get within one seat of flipping control of the popularly elected Wisconsin State Supreme Court this week. With a conservative-controlled decisive seat coming up for election the same day as next year's state Democratic presidential primary, liberal interests hope to claim control to overturn much of former Governor Scott Walker's reform agenda, especially the right-to-work law and government sector collective bargaining reforms passed from 2011 to 2018. While a recount is expected, they appear to have failed. Despite the labor union-backed Greater Wisconsin Committee and Greater Wisconsin Political Fund outspending allies of conservative Brian Hagedorn 3-1, to Hagedorn holds a lead of just under 6,000 votes as of recording time, with all precincts reported over progressive Lisa Neubauer. According to an analysis of ad spending by Decision Desk HQ, the Neubauer campaign and the Greater Wisconsin organizations spent $3.4 million, while Hagedorn and his allies spent $1.2 million on television advertising. Before the closing period of the campaign, the left-leaning Wisconsin Democracy campaign had estimated a 14-to-1 advantage for Neubauer. Hagedorn's allies closed the gap very late. National and state groups supporting Neubauer included the Wisconsin affiliates of the League of Conservation Voters and Planned Parenthood's political arm, the For Our Future PAC, jointly funded by billionaire environmentalist Tom Steyer and national labor unions, the SEIU, and Center for Popular Democracy, a labor union-backed agitation group. The National Democratic Redistricting Committee had added an additional 350000 in support of Neubauer. Meanwhile, Hagedorn had come under fire for founding a socially conservative private religious school and for speaking to the Social Conservative Legal Organization Alliance Defending Freedom, which has been targeted by the controversial Southern Poverty Law Center. A number of right-leaning Wisconsin business organizations had refused to support or withdrawn their support from Hagedorn over these social conservative associations. As a result, Hagedorn was expected to lose badly. One elections analyst's morning of prediction for the result was a Neubauer victory of 10 points, comparable with Democratic Senator Tammy Baldwin's re-election in the 2018 general election and Liberal Justice Rebecca Dallet's win in an election for a Supreme Court seat earlier that year. As things stand, Hagedorn is very likely to win unless there was a major error in the initial tabulation, which has actually happened, though in a manner that saw a trailing conservative take an unexpected lead in a 2011 Wisconsin Supreme Court race. The state will re-canvass votes until next week. At that point, Neubauer can request a recount. If the margin is unchanged, that recount would be at her own campaign's expense. Cato Institute trade scholar Scott Linsicum once warned, tariffs not only impose immense economic costs, but also fail to achieve their primary policy aims and foster political dysfunction along the way. Today, the Daily Beast's Lachlan Markey delivers an example of the political dysfunction a political dysfunction that is particularly swampy. The American Economic Freedom Alliance is advocating for inserting a delay to certain provisions of the USMCA trade agreement, the Trump administration's more protectionist alternative to the NAFTA trade agreement that has made North American trade mostly free for the past two decades, arguing that those provisions threaten auto industry jobs in South Carolina. AEFA's focus on South Carolina may have something to do with the fact that one of the firm's four officers, Republican operative Phil Cox, is a partner at Guidepost Strategies, a firm registered to lobby the Trump White House on trade issues for BMW, which opposes certain provisions of USMCA and has a large manufacturing plant in Spartanburg, South Carolina. 
This would be all's fair in love and it's technically not lobbying, but Phil Cox is not only an officer of AEFA. Markey reports that Cox is also an employee of Trade Works for America, an advocacy group advocating for passage of USMCA. This puts Cox somewhat at cross-purposes with himself. In comment to the Daily Beast, Cox argued, quote, both groups support the overall mission of the USMCA, close quote. All that aside, with the threat of regulations and taxes like tariffs and country of origin rules hanging over their heads on either side of a potential USMCA passage, businesses are more than ready to support advocacy coalitions like AEFA or TradeWorks for America, the one in particular depending on their particular circumstances. This sort of not-technically-lobbying-lobbying-through-issue-coalitions-and-pop-up-advocacy-groups-is-common-and-bipartisan practice in the D.C. swamp. Most shops, however, try not to cross themselves up, advocating apparently contradictory positions. And finally, it's Labor Union Annual Report Season. The end of March is the deadline for unions that follow a calendar-year Labor Department filing schedule to make their annual reports, known as LM2s after the long, detailed form required of major labor organizations like national unions, under the Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act, a 1959 law designed to root out the -the on-the-waterfront-style corruption from labor organizations and to inform union members of unions' financial activities. The reports contain lots of useful nuggets. The salary and expenses of union officials, who are not infrequently eligible to be part of the hated 1%. Accurate counts of union members and forced fee payers, which unions tend to conflate and inflate in public statements. And expenditures on all the things that unions do, from political campaigning to reading the daily newspaper. Among the more useful items are figures and details on the extent of union support for left-wing political organizations and advocacy groups, often with dues money. This support can run in the six to seven figures to an advocacy group from a single union. Notable recipients include the Union Think Tank Economic Policy Institute, the Minimum Wage Pressure Group National Employment Law Project, and the far-left think tank Demos. But there are lighter items. Examples of, why did they spend that? Who is that for? And didn't they know about that guy? Here are a few choice selections. United Auto Workers spent $5,000 to sponsor a minor league stock car racing team. Isn't the first time a union has gone car racing. The International Association of Machinists spent the entire decade of the 1980s fielding an IndyCar team that never won a race. The Operating Engineers Union declared spending $13,353 at Kate Spade in New York City for gifts. The union also declared an unitemized $14,255 spent at a New Jersey Bloomingdale's. On a less humorous note, Americans for Financial Reform, an anti-financial services advocacy group for which alleged Antifa leader and self-described communist Jose Alcoff formerly worked, received $10,000 from the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees Government Worker Union. Finally, we can add a note on our post-Janus union payer tracking from last week. The SEIU like AFSCME, a major government worker union, also reported a substantial decline in payers. SEIU lost 98,000 forced fee payers and a net 1,200 additional union members through 2018. That's our show for this week. If you're listening to this on YouTube, we encourage you to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.